So as spoken last week, during these days of the counting of the Omer until Shavuot, until Pentecost, I will focus my sermon on our Mishkan David tenets of faith. We have 12 tenets of faith, and they're all bulleted out on our website, mishkandavid.org. And these sermons will deep dive into those tenets. This week, we'll talk about tenets two through four, which all speak about the nature of God. So the tenets, two through four, as they are written, say, we believe in one God, our Heavenly Father, as he has revealed himself in the scriptures, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We believe that Messiah is spoken of in the scriptures in terms that only belong to God. Yeshua is divine, the eternal Messiah in whom dwells the fullness of God. He is the word who became flesh, the uniquely begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. And we believe the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, comforts, teaches, disciplines, empowers, and equips all those he inhabits. And for each of those tenets, we have some scripture to back them up. So does this mean that we here at Mishkan David believe in the Trinity? The answer is yes. But there is an asterisk there, and I will explain the asterisk. We believe in God. Our Father. We believe that Yeshua is God. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God. We believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. This is traditional Trinitarian doctrine, and we ascribe to that. The asterisk, the little asterisk is this. Any honest biblical theologian will admit to this. Nowhere in the Bible, in the Old or New Testaments, does it say that God is a trinity. The term Trinity is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Uh, it does not say in the Bible anywhere that God is three, that God is three in one, that he's triune in nature. So while the precepts of the Trinity are biblical and we believe in them, the Trinity is an implied doctrine rather than an explicit doctrine. Does that make sense? It's implicit in the Bible. It's a theological conclusion about the nature of God, looking at the totality of Scripture about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's a perfectly fair conclusion. It's sound, it makes sense, and we believe it's valid. But when it comes to the nature of God, in both the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, the Brich Hadashah, God's nature, when it does describe God's nature, it describes it in one way and one way only. Adonai Echad, the Lord is one, in both the Old and New Covenants. From the Torah, in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. To the Gospels, like in Mark 12.29, where Yeshua stated the Shema is the most important commandment. He said the most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. To the Prophets, in Zechariah 14.9, it says, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord shall be one, and his name one. And all the way to the uh, letters of the apostles, the apostolic letters, James writes in James 2, verse 19, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So do we, do I believe in the triune, trinitarian nature of God? Yes. 
we draw the same conclusion. But God is one. That is his biblical nature. And this is completely consistent with Trinitarian doctrine, that God's plurality in nature does not contradict his oneness. And let's also remember that in creation, regarding his plurality, let's all remember that in creation, God said, let us make man in our image. So in conclusion about the nature of God, we, we believe in the triune nature of God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit here at Mishkan David. And we believe that his pluralistic nature in no way compromises his singularity as the one and only God. That make sense? We believe in God as the Father. All throughout the Bible, God reveals himself as Dad, as Father, as Pop, as Abba, as Papa. He wants to be known this way. He wants to be known this way. He wants you to know him in this way. Not just Father as your creator, which he is, but so much more as your Father in heaven, your father in heaven. All the way back in Exodus, the beginning of the Exodus event, God told Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. I hope you hear some tood in that, because there is from God, that's how passionately he feels about his son, his child, his children, you. Israel is my son, so I say, let my son go. I believe he says that into the demonic forces. Unto this day, he is your protector. God the Father loves you fiercely. He defends you. He guards you. He's your shield. He's your shelter. He's your safety. Deuteronomy 1, 31 says, when the children of Israel, when our ancestors were in the wilderness, it says, in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. God the Father carries you as a father carries a child. He holds you when you're tired. He heals you when you're sick. He comforts you when you're in need. He provides for you when you're in hardship. That's your dad. That's your father. Psalm 103, verse 13 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God, your father, is merciful. He is kind. He always seeks for your good. The disciple John in his letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, see how great a love the father has given us, that we would be called children of God. God wants you to know him as your father and for you to know without a doubt that you are his child. Didn't we sing that? What was the song that we were singing about the father? That we're, I am a child of God. I am a child. And we kept repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. He wants us to know that. That wasn't planned. Perhaps that was prophetic. He wants you to know that you are his child. He doesn't want you to ever forget that, that he's a father to you. God can sound very distant. Father is very close. And he loves you as a good father would. He disciplines you as a good father would. And he lavishes you with gifts as a good father would.
And God wants you to know that you're loved, even if your earthly father did not show godly love to you. If your earthly father was whole, he never would have treated you that way. God stands in that place to show you the love, the true love of a father. All good and perfect gifts come from above, from the father of heavenly lights. To God, to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians 4.20. We believe in God the Father here at Mishkan David. And of course, Yeshua said in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Which brings us into Yeshua and his nature as the Messiah, the Son of God. We at Mishkan David believe that Yeshua is God. Sometimes when we just say he's divine it can be a little bit diminishing of his deity status. Because it says even in 2 Peter that we are partakers of the divine nature. But we're not God. So I want to be very, very clear that we do believe at Mishkan David that Yeshua is God. The Tanakh, the Old Testament, alludes to a Messiah who is also deity. Daniel 7 verse 14 says, And to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom so that all the peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might worship him. And all the Jewish commentators write that this is about the King Messiah. And the New Testament is clear. Any sincere reading of the New Testament would conclude that Yeshua is God. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 8, 58 said, Yeshua said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. A reference to the ineffable name of God, the yud heh vav -Heh. Hebrews 1, 3 says, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Talking about Yeshua. And Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says, for by him, Yeshua, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's talking about Yeshua. There are many, many other scriptures in the Brit Chadashah, the New Testament, that articulate the deity of the Messiah, and that he is one with the Father. But just as God the Father wants you to know that you are his child, Yeshua the Messiah wants you to know that you are his bride. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Paul is obviously quoting the book of Genesis in the Torah. But Paul continues, This mystery is great. I'm talking about Messiah. And his community, or his church. Yeshua is the one who left father and mother. He fulfills all Torah. He fulfills all law and all prophets. He's the one, ultimately, who left father and mother to become one with his bride. And if you think about what he said on the cross, he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Left his father. 
He looked at his mother, handed her off to John, said, Behold, John, here's your mother. He left his father and his mother on the cross. In fact, when Yeshua said, it is finished on the cross, one Hebrew way of saying that something is completely and utterly ended, done, kaput, that was Hebrew, is the Hebrew word kala, kala, kaf lamid he. We see that word in the Tanakh multiple times referring to a complete and utter end or destruction. Isaiah 10, 23 says, for a complete destruction, kala, kaf lamid he, kaf lamid he, is determined. The Lord of armies will execute in the midst of the whole land. This could very well be the word that in Hebrew that Yeshua said on the cross, telling us that through his action on the cross, that sin is completely and utterly ended, kaput, destroyed. But why do I bring this up? You know what else the word kala means? Same Hebrew consonants, kala, means bride. So when he said it is finished in Hebrew, he was also, the same word, calling forth his bride. He left father and mother to become one with his bride. That's you. Speaking of Mishkan David's tenets of faith would not be complete without stating that Yeshua died so he could make his dwelling within us. So we can effectively be him today in this world and operate as him in this world. This is foundational to what we believe about Yeshua, that he is within us so we can operate, so we can go, so we can touch, so we can pray, so we can manifest as him today. He left so we can all, in a way, be him in this world. That's very biblical. 1 John 4, 17, which is after Yeshua's resur resurrection, after his ascension, long after when John wrote this, 1 John. He said, as it, this is 1 John 4, 17. says, as he is, so are we in this world. We are to be as him, to be like him. John 17, 22, Yeshua said, the glory you gave me, he's talking to his father, the glory you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. Now, it doesn't mean that we're God, obviously, Yeshua is God and we are not, but in him, we lose our natural identity and gain his supernatural identity. Galatians 2, 20 said, I have been crucified with the Messiah and I no longer live. But Messiah lives within me. It is fundamental and it's foundational at Mishkan David that Yeshua lives right there. Lives right there. And we recognize that in all of you. Also, I would not be complete in talking about our foundations of our faith, our tenets of faith, and speaking about the Son of God, Yeshua. I would not be complete without stating that Messiah is the Aleph and the Tav. What is that? Let me explain. Revelation 22, 13, you, I'm sure everybody's familiar with this, that the revelator, John, wrote, I am of Yeshua, is Yeshua talking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Well, the Alpha and the Omega are what letters in the Greek alphabet? The first and last. So what are the first and last, last letters? Let's bring it back to Hebrew. What are the first and last letters 
of the Hebrew alphabet, or the Aleph Bet, as it's called. The Aleph is the first, and the Tav is the last of the Hebrew letters. Together, they form a Hebrew word, actually. The Hebrew word is pronounced et in Hebrew, but there's no English translation for this word. There's no English translation for this word. It's, there's just no English. There's no way to write an English translation for it. And there are many places in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, where et, Aleph Tav, is used that we believe because he's the Alpha and Omega, so he's the Aleph and the Tav. So everywhere you see the et, or almost everywhere you see the et, it could very well be a reference to him hidden in the Hebrew Scriptures. One amazing way that this is revealed is in Genesis 1. 1, in the creation statement. It says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. We know that creation statement. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. But when you read it in Hebrew, there's an Aleph Tav, after created, and before heaven, and before earth. You got that? There's an Aleph Tav, an Et, after created, but before heaven, and before earth. It's like when God spoke that creation statement, let there be light, when God created Aleph Tav, heaven, and earth, his creation went right through Aleph Tav, right through Yeshua. Yeshua is the conduit of creation. This gives so much meaning to John 1.3 when it says all things came into being through him. <laughs> Tammy, is that your first? Oh, okay. Was that Boaz? <laughs> So do you understand that? Do you understand that? So when we see the little Aleph Tav, the Alpha, Aleph, I'm sorry, the Aleph and the Tav, which is the Hebrew word et, it very well could be Yeshua, a hint of Yeshua right there, just as he was in the creation. Just like he says he was with him in, in, the, in, in the beginning. Well, there he is. Now we see him. Aleph Tav, et. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, Ruach HaKodesh. Holy Spirit. When Yeshua was giving his final discourse to his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion, they were clearly and surely upset that their Lord was about to leave. But Yeshua gave them encouragement. He told them while he is indeed leaving, they will not be alone. Yeshua told his disciples, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That was John 14, 26. So the first thing I want to point out, since these tenets speak of the nature of God, that when the New Testament speaks of the Holy Spirit, it's called a he, not an it. This is one of the reasons why I believe the Holy Spirit is, is well, God. Judaism believes that the Holy Spirit is an emanation from God. We believe it's, it's fully God, that the Holy Spirit is God. The, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is mentioned right in the beginning. So, that's a record. So the Holy Spirit is Ruach HaKodesh. We may also see Ruach Elohim, Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim. In, right there in Genesis, in that creation statement, verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 1, there he is, the Spirit of God. The earth was formless and desolate, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and 
Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, or and there was light. And there we see that pluralistic nature of God in action. We see God saying, let there be light, as the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. We see that pluralistic nature of God right there in action. And that same Spirit of God that we see in, in, the, in the beginning of Genesis is the same Spirit of God that enters into you and me when we believe in Yeshua. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power from the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, when we have the Holy Spirit, we become God's temple with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So with the Holy Spirit within you, you are the temple of God, which means that the tabernacle, the temple, are all foreshadows of something bigger, something greater. That's God living right there in these temples. So why do we need the Holy Spirit? There's so many reasons, and this will just touch on it. The Ruach, the Holy Spirit, convicts us of sin. John 16, 8 says when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So when you have the Holy Spirit within you and you feel this within you that says, that's not good, I got to stay away from that, that could be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit telling you, convicting you of what's sin and what's righteousness, what's good and what's bad. The, right, the Ruach, the Ruach, the Spirit teaches us about the nature of God and who God is. We know God more and more because God in the Holy Spirit lives within us. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God knows God, and the Spirit lives within you. How awesome is that? Spiritual gifts. Hopefully you know a thing or two about spiritual gifts since we've been speaking about it every other week at my home. Spiritual gifts are given to us through the Holy Spirit. And the attributes of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, knowledge, are manifested in our lives through these gifts for the good of others. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11 lists some but not all of the many wonderful spiritual gifts that can be given to us when we have the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit is our legal mark of adoption as God's children. Just as you might make a deposit or a down payment on a car to make sure that it's not sold to somebody else, the Holy Spirit is a deposit on our lives, confirming that we belong to the Mashiach. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. You're marked, a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to his praise and honor and glory. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us. It says in Romans 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness and we don't know what to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, leads us to the path of righteousness, helps us to avoid the trappings of sin in the flesh, and enables us to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. We know them by their fruit. 
and those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. So in conclusion, tenets 2 through 4, again, are written as follows. We believe in one God, our Heavenly Father, as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe that Messiah is spoken of in the scriptures in terms that only belong to God. Yeshua is divine, the eternal Messiah, in whom dwells the fullness of God. He is the word who became flesh, the uniquely begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. And we believe the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, comforts, teaches, disciplines, empowers, and equips all those he inhabits. If there's anyone here that does not think they have the Holy Spirit, even if you believe in Yeshua, please let the prayer team know after the service, and they will lay hands on you and impart the Holy Spirit to you. Yes, you can believe in Yeshua, but not yet have the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts 8 with a group of Samaritans. It says in verse 16 to 17, For he, the Holy Spirit, again he, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been immersed in the name of the Lord Yeshua. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I just read? They were baptized. They were immersed. But they did not yet have the Holy Spirit. The apostles went to visit, laid hands. They received the Holy Spirit. So if there's anyone here, even if you are a believer, that you don't think you have the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not within you, if you feel that way, please, if you're not sure, please let the prayer team know, and they will lay hands on you just as it is biblical and impart the Holy Spirit to you. If there's anyone here that has never accepted Yeshua, if you have never repented of your sins and accepted Yeshua's sacrifice of himself as your atonement for sin, and you wish to do so, please let the prayer team know after service. And they will pray salvation over you and welcome you into the kingdom of God. And that, by the way, is a perfect segue into next week's sermons about tenants numbers five and six, which are about what atonement is and what salvation is. Amen.